Jeremiah chapter 1 remember we looked at the old chapter last week or we read I read the old chapter just to introduce it to us I'm going to read verses 6 to 9 of chapter 1 then said I our Lord God behold I cannot speak for I am a youth but the Lord said to me do not say I am a youth for you shall go to all to whom I send you and whatever I command you you shall speak do not be afraid of their faces for I am with you to deliver you says the Lord then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth and the Lord said to me behold I have put my words into your mouth now just to remind you of what we talked about last uh, Sunday morning as I introduced this Old Testament prophet uh, to you Jeremiah we saw uh, that he was very special even before he was born even before he was formed in the womb before he was formed in the womb God knew him you know and we talked a little bit about that last week and about the way the world is going and uh, when does a human being become a human being and was it is it at conception is it at heartbeat is it at this is it that well according to God it was before conception you know he's talking about a different uh, time zone than us so before God formed him in the womb he knew him then God formed him in the womb so as God is doing all this business behind the scenes how dare man intrude and destroy what God is building uh, in the secret place and then of course we saw that God set him apart for service before he was even born God had earmarked him for this uh, this job that he had for him uh, which we will see uh, what that is next time uh, we come round his word together and then last of all he ordained him he ordained him to be the prophet of the nations what a fabulous start to your ministry you know to hear the audible voice of God telling you all these wonderful things about you and about his relationship to you and his plans and purposes for you what you know can you imagine if God had told you all those things or if God had told me all those things as he was commissioning us to do the work of a of a prophet of a witness of a church member or whatever can you imagine what it would have been like if we could have heard the audible voice of God saying look before I knew you I knew before I formed you I knew you then I formed you then I set you apart for this ministry then I ordained you to this ministry what an encouragement what a leap forward that uh, that would bring to you and you'd think that Jeremiah would be chomping at the bit to get on to get out there and get on with the work and do the business that God had called him knowing that God was in it all God had started it he'd initiated it he's orchestrating it and he's with me and he's in me and he's using me what what a wonderful thought and you would have thought that um, that God that Jeremiah would have been there full of enthusiasm and, and excitement to get out and do the job can anything stand in the way of God's plans and purposes for Jeremiah but of course we know that when you look at Jeremiah's response it's a bit of a shock it's a bit of a shock it's quite negative 
In fact, I would say it's rather weak, to say the least. And you get to think, you get to, you know, when you're reading this, you start shouting at Jeremiah and say, Jeremiah, haven't you been listening? Haven't you been listening to what God had been telling you? He knew you before he formed you. He formed you. He set you apart. He ordained you to the. Haven't you been listening? He's put it all into perspective for you. He's drawn your future for you. You're on a winner. You cannot lose, Jeremiah. And then we say, oh, if only, if only we could hear that audible voice of God. If only we could have that encouraging uh, set of statistics that God has given to Jeremiah. If only that was the driving force behind our service for God. You know, we would be out there doing it and getting on with it. But I asked the question, would we? Because it wasn't for Jeremiah. It wasn't the driving force behind Jeremiah's life. Because when Jeremiah looked out, he still saw the obstacles. He still saw his weaknesses. He still was aware of his failings. You know, and um, I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that Jeremiah didn't go out and win the whole world for God at that point. Because his hon- honesty in declaring his weaknesses is more of an encouragement to me because I'm exactly the same. I'm exactly the same. True, I haven't heard the audible voice of God telling me all these wonderful things. You know what? I've told you, I haven't heard the audible voice of God. But as I said last week, God has been just as active in my life Because he knew me before he formed me. He formed me. He commissioned me or he set me apart for a ministry. And he ordained me for this point in my life. Just as he was with Jeremiah, so he is with me. Because the Bible tells me he doesn't change. You know, and if his, all this work behind the scenes was important for Jeremiah to do his work for God, then the same work behind the scenes is as important for me to do my work for God and the same for you to do your work for God. So we at Jeremiah, there's not someone out there that we can't reach. He's a human being just like us. We have received the same call to ministry as he has. A different type of ministry. Like I said last week, I haven't been called to be a prophet to the nations. I've been called to be a minister of the gospel. Which I think is better. And I think is even more tough than his ministry. But he's always just as he ordained him. He's prepared me. He doesn't change his tactics. They're as old as the hills. You know, and the problem is, we don't change either. And our excuses are exactly the same as Jeremiah's. They might take a different form, but they are excuses all the same. Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. All this work that God had done in preparation 
And Elijah comes back with these words I cannot speak. I'm not able to. You haven't given me all the tools. You haven't prepared me enough for what you were calling me to do. And of course, Jeremiah wasn't on his own. We know that. Moses made the same excuse as he was commissioned uh, by God from the burning bush. The burning bush. What an amazing, uh, an amazing event that was. The bush that was burning yet not consuming. God, Jehovah, I am speaking out of the out of the, the bushes, telling him to do stuff, and he said, I can't speak. I stuttered a lot. What good am I uh, going um, to talk to, to Pharaoh? And of course, as we are doing in Bible and Biscuits, Timothy was the same. He had the same excuse. I'm I'm too young. And of course, uh, uh, for those of us that um, have studied the Bible, we know that Gideon, he was also the same. I'm too small. I'm too insignificant. I come from a, a little tribe, and I'm the littlest in the littlest of tribes. I can't do it. You know, and there's always this great sense of inadequacy in all of us. I don't care who you are. You know, this idea... That we are just not up to the task. And no matter what God has done, or said, said, or done in our lives, this weakness is very difficult to move away from. It's very difficult to move away from. So that's where Jeremiah is. It's disappointing, really, after last week. Uh, And yet it's not disappointing, it's encouraging. Because now, God is having to set out some principles to get over this fear to get over this inadequacy to get over these failings and these weaknesses so that Jeremiah can blossom into what God has really prepared him for and in the same way we can get over the same obstacles so that we can blossom in what God has got for us and God's response is quite interesting remember when the angel came down to Zacharias uh, John the Baptist's father and said, you, your prayers have been heard. And um, Zachariah said, what prayers were they? He stopped praying for a child 40 years ago. You know, when things went wrong. And you know, because he sort of uh, didn't believe the angel, God struck him dumb. That was quite sort of radical, um, I think. And, um, but if you look at this part of the scripture, God doesn't do that. He's different here. He's different. And in fact, he doesn't rebuke Jeremiah at all, but he talks to him. He engages with him. You know, he takes him to one side to have a little word in his ear. Come over here a minute. Let me tell you some truths. Let me show you some things that you need to know. And he says, don't say, I'm a youth. Don't say, I'm a youth. Don't concentrate on your weaknesses. Don't highlight your limitations. Yes, they'll always be there. You know, he was a youth. (laughs) He was a youth. There were limitations. These weren't imagined. They were real and the same with us. You know, we've got obstacles to get over. Then they're real. No, they're not. We haven't brought them in to thwart the work of God. They're there. Stopping us doing the work of God and yes our limitations and our weaknesses they'll always be there 
And I, I don't think there'll ever be a time when you and I will think that we are good enough, strong enough, confident enough to do the work that God has called us. There'll always be that niggling little doubt that yes, we are punching above our weight. You know, I've been a pastor in this church since 1991, which is 28 years. And I still go through periods when I wonder, am I where I should be? You know, am I kidding myself? You know, should, you know, should I stay down the pit where I was a real good fitter uh, rather than come and do something like this? There's always a niggling doubt that you are punching above your weight, out of your league as far as God's work is concerned. Always this doubt that, or thought that someone else would have been a better option in the situation that God has called me. And I've often looked out and thought, well, that pastor would do a much better job than me here. You know, if that pastor was here, this church would burst at the seams. If this pastor was doing it, this would work, that would work, the other would work. And it's debilitating when you get those thoughts in your mind. But they'll always come. And they'll always go, someone else will always be a better option in the situations that God plays. That's normal for us. That's as I, you know, I hope I'm, am I saying the truth? Am I saying the truth, Dave? That's good. Huh? <laughs> That's good then. I, you know, I was. I never. I noticed there was no amens, uh, so, but uh, I mean, you know, I don't like asking for help. But God says, "Well, don't concentrate on those things. Better to concentrate on my strength." This is the, this is the secret, I think, to concentrate not on your weaknesses, but my strength. Put your trust in me, says the Lord. You know, remember Paul when he was um, pleading with God to remove that thorn that was in his flesh. This is what he says. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, and these are the most fabulous words in the whole of the Bible, I think, my grace is sufficient for you. You know, and that's what we always sort of uh, sort of uh, highlight. My grace is sufficient for you. But the next bit is just as wonderful. My strength says God, is made perfect, is complete in your weakness. It's complete in weakness. You know, therefore, most gladly I, will, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Because I've transferred my trust from my own abilities, my own talents, my own gifts, and I've said, God, it's down to you. You know, and it's always down to you. It's never down to me, it's always down to God. And He is always strong. And the stronger I think I am myself, I'm going to do this myself. We fail. But if my weaknesses show, what did, what did Jesus say on the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Those who acknowledge their weaknesses, their bankruptcy, is where salvation begins. You know, I've got no righteousness of my own. That's what that means. I'm poor in spirit. But he is rich in grace 
and rich in mercy. You see, our weakness is but God's opportunity to show His strength. He is never weak. He is never taken by surprise. He never makes wrong choices as to who to send to certain circumstances. You know what? You only think about it. What a disappointment Jonah would have been to God. Can you imagine if you was a boss of a corporation and you sent Jonah to do a job for you? You would be absolutely gutted. Because he doesn't come up with the goods. He runs away, goes in a different direction, he groans at the job, he doesn't take it seriously. And when he does the job, he sits down and thinks, well that's that done. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. God is going to have grace and save the people. It's not going to work. Can you imagine if an employer of yours were, did something said and did and said something like that? You would be gutted. But you see, and you know, he, he, he goes into this deep mode and so many other things. But you know, you think to yourself, well, why didn't God wisen up a bit and call someone that would do his bidding? There are plenty of people here that will go and do that. But no, he chose. He chose, uh, he chose Jonah. And when you look at the consequence of that trip, an old city repented. See, God isn't about judgment. He remembers mercy before judgment. Always. Grace comes before judgment. You know, he wants that city to turn to him. That's what he wanted. Jonah had a different agenda, of course. He wanted the city to sink into the sand. That's what he wanted it to do. But they didn't. They sunk into some sackcloth and then God glorified them. You know, and um, I remember yeah, he was God's, you know, he was the old, before the Lord, the old city repented before the Lord because of this tiresome wimp called Jonah. But he was God's tiresome wimp. I remember a, 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 a wife, a bereaved wife, saying to me, they were, um, I can't use the language she used. Uh, but she said, my husband was a so-and-so. And then she said, but he was my so-and-so. He was my so-and-so. You know, here he is, this tiresome wimp. But he's God's tiresome wimp. And when you look at us, what are we? But we are God's. Whatever we are, we are God's tiresome wimp. So the lesson here for us is that in every circumstance that we find ourselves, however we feel about our ability to cope, the important thing for us to know is that God is with us. And His strength is perfected in our weakness. And whatever God had planned for that divine appointment that He brought you to will be achieved in His strength and not your own. This is what he says. For you shall go to all to whom I send you. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. That's the power of God. You know, that's where we've got to you know, be looking for our strength. Not in our own capabilities and our own abilities, but in His strength. But God goes on. And He says, don't be afraid of their faces. For I am with you to deliver you says the Lord. You know, over these last couple of weeks in Emmanuel, we've talked a lot about being light in this dark world, of bringing the message of grace to friends and to family 
to work mates. You know, and I think that it is fear, probably, that is the one thing that holds us back in all these different circumstances. The fear of men's faces. It can be so debilitating. You know, but God has... What has he, what has he done to alleviate? Well, that's all he's done. He's given us a promise. A promise. What good's a promise, eh? Why didn't he do something? No, he gave us a promise. But it's a promise of his presence. A promise of his presence. Just like he's promised to be with us this morning as we've gathered in his name. He's here. And we know he's here. We can feel he's here. You know, and this is the promise he gives. A promise of his presence. Of his being with us. And you know, that's got to be an awesome thing for us to contemplate. You know, as we look out at the sea of faces that God has called us to reach. You know, family, friends, neighbours, workmates. And they've all got faces that grow sterner and sterner and sterner when you think that you were going to have to tell them about Jesus. And all the time God says to you, don't look at their faces, look at mine. Look at mine, look at the love in mine. Look at the power in mine. Look at the strength that you have in mine. He's given us a promise. You know, these situations that seem to overwhelm us are moments when God is nearest. Don't be afraid of their faces, for I am with you. You know, the next bit is a little bit um, off-putting. To deliver you. <laughs> if they are up in the turn. You know, he's there to deliver you. Uh, now, now, I'm going to ask you all a question. Do you trust God's promises? Do you trust God's promises? Now, I've I seen a, uh, an incident this week. I, I don't think I'm um, 100% for what I'm going to tell you now. In fact, I'm, I don't think I, I, I'm any percent for it. But a minister went, was finishing off in a church, a big, big rally, and um, everybody was going for it, you know. And he said, before we go, he said, I'd like us to summon up Satan. And the whole place fell into silence. You know, it's not how you finish a, a service, uh, Rod. And, um, and he looked at the congregation, he said, What's the matter? What's the matter? And they said, we, But we don't want that. We don't want you to summon up Satan. And the man said, Why? Well, because he'll come. But are we like that when we ask God to do things? See, they were confident that if they summoned up Satan, he would come. But were they confident if they called on the Lord? Would they be confident? If when they are witnessing, they would know that Jesus was by the side of them. He's promised. He's promised. And sometimes we can fail to grip and grasp hold of the promises that God has made. And the situations will always overwhelm us. Incidentally, I would never do what that fellow did. Um, but it's, it was a, a sort of a valid point that he was making. Do you trust promises of God? And if the answer is yes, my next question is, then how can we be afraid? How can we 
be afraid. You know, I think that uh, this is a getting out of the boat moment for us all. You know, Peter's response to Christ's beckoning was to slip his leg over the side of the boat, stand upright, and walk. What an amazing thing that was. What, what was it based on? It was based on a promise. Yes, come to me. Can I come to you on the water? Yeah, come to me. And he got out of the boat, and he walked on what he... Um, responded to the promise of God. Of course, he failed in his attempt to walk across. Why? Well, because he took his eyes off the person and looked at the problems. And that's what we do. No, yes, we can respond to God's promise and go into a situation, and then we become paralyzed with fear because we've looked at the obstacles rather than looked at our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I've got to be honest with you. I'm not too fussed about walking on water. It's not my thing. It's not what I, I did. <laughs> at the moment. I would just like to walk on solid ground at, uh, at the moment. But I am interested in telling others about the love of God in Christ. Now, how do I do that? How can I shake off this fear that daunts me? Well, just like Peter, take God at His word. That's the simplest thing I could say. Take God at his word and trust in his promise to you. Do not be afraid of the faces for I am with you. It's the only antidote to fear is knowing that God is with us all the time. So if we get into a situation where we are able to witness then always remember that their faces will always be a fearful sight. But God is always with you. He's always with you and take your strength and your courage and your confidence from Him and His promise rather than from the situation that you find yourself in. And you and the last thing that we would, uh, we would ask is, yes, but what am I going to say? What am I going to say? And the biggest fear of all is that they will ask a question that I can't answer. Or they will say something they can't understand or I can't explain. I tell you now that the average person that you will meet will have zero knowledge of the Bible. You know, when I listen to the, the chase and things like that and uh, listen to biblical, simplest, biblical, you know, if the, the, the kids in messy church this afternoon couldn't answer the questions, you know, the thousand dollar question on, uh, on, on the chase, I'd be very disappointed in Sophie, I've got to be honest. They know nothing about the Bible. Yes, they'll repeat all the, the common deflecting statements. You know, the Bible is full of contradictions. Yeah, I've heard that one. I've gone through that one. The church is full of hypocrites. Of course, that's a, that's a staple for, uh, for an unbeliever. It's all about money and power. That's all. These are all the things that they will say. But they know nothing of their condition before God. They know nothing about their sinful state and the precarious position that they are in. But on the other hand, they know nothing of God's love. They know nothing of His grace and of the sacrifice that He was willing to make for them. They know nothing of the fellowship with Christ that is so sweet and nothing of the power of the Holy Spirit in His ministry, in our hearts. They know nothing of the fellowship that can be enjoyed by His people or the hope and security of knowing the Creator of the universe in person. They know nothing of the prospect of spending eternity with God in heaven. They know nothing of the life-transforming power of the Gospel. But you do. 
And I do. And that puts us in the ascendancy when it comes to witnessing with people. Because we know by experience, by understanding the word, what they don't know. And therefore, everything that we share with people will be brand new to them. If you can only get that in our heads. They don't know what I know. And they need to know what I know. And I'm the one who will be able to tell them. Listen to what God says. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Now here's another promise. How have he put his words in our mouth? Well, for a start, he's opened up our hearts to receive him as Savior. He's come to live within us. He's given us his word. He's given us teachers in the pulpit to tell us all these amazing things. Here we are in the ascendancy in this situation because we know what they don't. And knowledge is king. We've got the knowledge. They've just got the excuses and the barriers. But we've got the knowledge. Why? Because God has put his words on our mouth. You see, every one of us in this gathering this morning, we've all got a story. And that's why I love Blessed Assurance so much, because the chorus says, this is my story. This is my song. You know how easy it is for us to tell people our story. I wonder how many of us this week have added to our story on, my, on, uh, on Facebook. I'm asked, all, I'm asked all the time, do you want to add anything to your story? I don't know how to do it, to be honest with you. Do you want to add anything to your story? And you know, and, and I've got to be honest, it's easy to tell people your story today. It's awful easy with Facebook and, and Twitter and all that nonsense. It's all easy. You know, and um, I know more about people I don't know than people I do know today. But they tell me all what's going on in their lives. Their story is out there for me to see. But you see, we have a story to tell that most people would long to be able to tell. Lots of the stories are mundane. They, they're temporal, fleeting. We've had a lovely time. But when we, the story that we have, the story that we have, you know, if we give them the true version, of course, you know, a lot of Christian stories are quite out there, uh, out, out of uh, the ballpark sometimes. But if we tell them the true version of the story, the love of God found in Christ, the grace of God found in Christ, the power of God found in Christ, the hope of God found in Christ, that's our story. And all we need to do is to get our story into the conversation. Out there. Just like we put our story out in any other context. We have a great story to tell. You know, and God has put it in our hearts. He's etched it on our lips. Now we can see he's tattooed it on our finger so we can put it on Facebook. Don't say, I'm too young. Come here. I said I can imagine him doing. Come on. Come here a minute. Don't say you're too young. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you all the time. Don't be afraid of their faces. I'm with you to deliver you. Don't be afraid of what you're going to say. My word 
is upon your lips, is in your heart. And let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. You shall go out to all whom I send you. And you shall speak whatever I command you. You know, when we look at those other uh, examples that we looked at earlier, Moses, the stutterer, led the children of Israel out of Egypt. Gideon, the insignificant one, defeated the Midianites. Timothy, the young one, led the church at Ephesus. Jonah, what do I call him? The wimp. He brought Nineveh to its knees, literally. Jeremiah was a great prophet. And you and I have got that same God standing with us. And whatever he has called us to do, he will do it in us and through us. Don't say you're too young. Don't be afraid of their faces. I am with you to deliver you. And I've placed my word on your lips. For his namesake.